just looking at that defense, they're just a different set of dudes. I mean, they, they look different. They didn't look like big sky guys that we played before. Um, you know, they had defensive end, I think was a first or second round draft pick a couple years later. Um, but we moved the ball. We were down to the two the first time, the three the second time, ended up with six points. And, and you know, you can't go on the road and kick field goals. But, I mean, even halftime of that game, Calvin Coleman gets a pick and takes it back. Um, you know, we're in a position to score again. So there's there's opportunities, and one of those where you look at it and go, we should have won that game. You know, and you start looking around going, if we should win that game, we shouldn't lose many. You know, so that's that's when I felt pretty comfortable about who we had as a team and just how we played. You know, there's no one was getting to the quarterback. We were able to run the ball. Defense was stout. You know, they, they didn't give up much. You start watching Hawaii a couple weeks later, and they're blowing people out by 50, and you're going, we're pretty good. Welcome in to Grizz Greats, the 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Champions. This is our third rendition of Grizz Greats. We started our Grizz Greats podcast series with Grizz Greats, the coaching tree, chronicling Judd Heathcote's awesome coaching tree at the University of Montana for the men's basketball program. Our second iteration of Grizz Greats, the 25th anniversary, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. And now... The third iteration, the 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Champions. We get this series kicked off with a good buddy of mine and a guy that was a sophomore on that team, Dylan McFarland. He's an offensive lineman from Kalispell, played in the NFL after his career at Montana. Uh, but that was a special moment in time when Montana claimed the national championship. But Dylan, before we get into all the memories, let's start with the here and now. We're recording this the week after Montana slayed the Giant. Montana goes into Seattle. They knock off the Washington Huskies 13-7. to only the fifth win by an FCS team over a ranked FBS opponent. And Bobby Houck, he's won 99 games as the Grizz head coach, and he said that was his biggest win of his career. So uh, I know you still follow Grizz football big time. So what were your thoughts after seeing the uh, Montana go toe-to-toe with Washington and Seattle? Yeah, absolutely. That was fantastic. I was there uh, a few years back when they got beat about 63-7 to and just could tell the difference in the programs. And then to go from that game to this game when you have uh, those guys, on, especially on defense, flying around, um, making plays all over the field against guys that are, you know, packed 12 players, um, all, all uh, conference players, guys are going to play in the NFL. And, and then uh, for me, the offense as well, I obviously take special pride in the offensive line, and those guys held up great. I mean, no pressure on the quarterback, uh, ran the ball decent, and uh, scored when they had to. So that, that was an impressive effort all around, and just a huge win for Montana. I mean, the, the amount of outpouring you get from around the state, from – uh, you know, other attorneys in the state sending me, um, and even out of state, sending me congratulations by emails and text messages and everything that they're come flying in. It was an exciting game, an exciting moment. So happy for those guys and and uh, looking forward to their opportunities this year. So we'll start with it here and now in terms of you personally. You mentioned you're an attorney uh, here in Missoula. Uh, we're doing this in studio, so this is always fun because we get to catch up with guys from all over the country. I love doing the 95 one because you got some guys that are still in town, but also guys that are living all over the country and in some cases all over the world. Some guys are living up in Canada. We had a couple guys that were had just come back from Europe um, but tell people what you're doing here in Missoula yeah so live here in Missoula been here uh, since I got done playing in Buffalo I love Missoula it's a great city great community uh, the fishing's fine so I never <laughs> that's right uh, yeah I've been a lawyer for the last uh, little over 10 years now I'm in a firm called Knight and Castro McKay right now and I do a lot of lit- litigation work which is basically I tell everyone fighting over insurance money uh, trying to get it so um, it's been good it's, it's a competitive atmosphere for me uh, a lot of hard work but a, you know a lot of uh, uh, rewarding outcomes and it's good to help people and solve problems so I've had a great great career that way as well let's take it all the way back to the late 90s when you're growing up uh, up in the flathead in Kalispell uh, what was your perspective 
on the Grizz then? Because uh, the Grizz were as dominant as they've ever been during that moment in time. You had the 95 National Championship. The 96 team went undefeated. A lot of people think that team might have actually been better than the 95 team. They just happened to run into a, a guy named Randy Moss in the 96 National Championship game. Uh, but, I mean, Grizz football was was uh, riding high at that moment in time. But what do you remember when you were just a high school kid and, and just sort of your perspective on the Grizz? Yeah, when I was a younger kid, and you got to remember the games I was watching were, was on the grass hill in the in the north end zone right so that was kind of my first exposure to, to college football and uh to see those guys uh throwing the ball around uh, it was exciting i mean as exciting as it gets you know it, it wasn't the old uh three yards in a, a cloud of dust it was track meet and scoring 50 points a game and and just the excitement that caused you know when, once you kind of get through uh high school and trying to figure out when you have a chance to play college football where do you want to go pretty exciting to get in that that sort of offense um and, and play with those types of players and have that success you know for me um I got uh, I got some offers from Ivy League schools, and you know, looking back, it's kind of funny. But I just I said I don't I don't want to go play bad football. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and and uh, you know, my life definitely took a turn because of that. But uh, yeah, and, and no regrets coming to Montana. Just did uh, you see how the stadium grows and and the, the fan base grows and and the continued success? It, it's everything I hope it would be. So let's talk about Flathead High School because uh, you know it's been interesting to watch the way the state has evolved at the double-A level because you got some new high schools coming in, schools moving up to double-A, uh, but Kalispell was kind of the first one that split with Glacier coming up, becoming a high school in 2007, but that was years after your time there. Uh, and Flathead was quite a powerhouse in sports because they just had so many kids and everything. So what do you remember about the Flathead High School football program? Is this sort of the way that uh, influenced you as a young guy? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, especially at Bob Applegate as head coach, uh, he took over an 0-10 team uh, three or four years before I got there as a, as a sophomore and just continued to progress, put a great coaching staff together. Grady Bennett was the offensive coordinator, so I was exposed to a lot of those types of offensive sets that Montana ran already. Uh, uh, Joe Sullivan was my offensive line coach who learned a ton of things from uh, Chad Germer and, and that coaching tree as well. So sort of the for me, football-wise, it, it was a great opportunity because I was familiar with the terminology, I was familiar with the coaching styles uh, and the and the technique, and so a great stepping stone for me. Flooded High School uh, was great. It's great to play at the time, and um, you know I still have all those buddies running around and and uh, keep up with each other. So love Flooded Valley. Do you remember the first time a Grizz coach reached out to you? I do. I do. So How old were you? I was I was a junior in high school. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of how it was back then. You didn't really get contacted until you were kind of coming out of your junior year, yeah. right? Yeah. So I had a, I had a deal with my dad if I if I made a high school team because I was a, a short chubby kid when I was in seventh grade, and uh, if I ever made a varsity sport, he was going to paint our house orange and black. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. We lived four blocks from the high school. Uh, I I loved working out. Loved working hard. Um, ended up playing basketball as a sophomore and then football as a junior and senior. So, um, true to his word, painted our house orange and black. Had <laughs> I love that. Front. And then uh, I remember Coach Denny, he came to our house for a visit. Yep. Coach Applegate tells the story. He goes, I just remember telling him, he goes, go down 3rd Avenue. When you see the house with an arrow on it, you found it. And, he goes, and Coach Denny says the same thing. He goes, no kid, I walk down there. I go, it's got to be it. So, that was the first time I had a, a college coach in my house and he'd sent me letters before. And um, it's it's something different, you know, when you're, again, back when you're getting letters, you know, you're in study hall and there's 10 letters that come in from programs all across the country and, and uh, it makes you feel pretty special as a, as a high school kid. You know, the, the ego gets to you pretty quick, but all of a sudden, you know, it's teams cutting down and, and things that you thought were going to happen didn't happen and other opportunities open up. So, um, like I said, I ended up in the right place and, and it was 
great opportunity for me. It was an interesting deal back then, too, because Mick Dennehy was the offensive coordinator for, for um, Don Reed, but he also was the offensive line coach, and then he became the head coach, and so he sort of filled different roles. It, it's not very typical anymore to have the offensive line coach be the OC, and then when Dennehy was then uh, the head coach, then he was also very involved in the offense as well. Um, but what do you remember about sort of that transition? Because he had already been the head coach when he was recruiting you, right? Like when he was visiting you, he was already head coach, Mick was? Yeah, for sure. So Mick ended up there, and then um, Jerome Sowers ended up at NEU. And so, um, you know, for, from my perspective and, and coming in as an offensive lineman, there was a, a huge emphasis on that position. And you could tell that going back to the 95 teams, 96 teams. I mean, sure. You had just stellar guys up front. Um, Most of them Montanans too, yeah, right? Yeah, even before that, you know. Right. Guys like Scott Gregg drafted in the second round. Totally. Uh, Eric Simonson was a great. Mike yeah. Agee was from yeah. up in the Flathead was a great. Yeah, you know, just just great, um, great talent there, great history, um, and so that's one of the things for me that that took off. Uh, you know, obviously you're playing with a, a group of highly talented guys, and um, there was a certain um, what I'd say attitude with that group. And, oh yeah, and it came from a long way back. Yeah, it wasn't. There was nothing new when I showed up. So there was a way that you played, and a way that you practiced, and a way that you worked, and. And uh, you either bought in or you didn't play. And so uh, that was a group that just kind of built on each other for a long time. And like I said, just circling back on that Washington game, it's good to see that back. I mean, it's sure. fully in effect right now. And so those guys are they're, they're big and nasty and they're moving people around. It's fun to watch. When you first got to campus, remind me, did you redshirt? I did, yeah. So, so what did you remember about your redshirt year? Because um, at that moment, Montana had a ton of depth. And a lot of times the freshmen were uh, taking their lumps uh, during practice. So what do you remember about uh, that redshirt year? Yeah, no, I was no different for sure. I came in at uh, about six, I think I was six five, two thirty two. So not not the kind of offensive lineman they, they typically recruit anymore. Uh, uh, see, but I want to stop there on that for a second though, because I think that that is and, and Bobby Houck is back to doing this. To me, guys are going to go to the FCS or in your case when you were playing Division One AA level if. If they're already 300 pounds, they're probably going to have a, a severe deficiency somewhere, whether it's in foot speed, athleticism, waist bend, you know, toughness. And I think that we've seen that. Like all these guys that were brought in for a, a, a moment in time here, the last eight or 10 years at Montana, they were super big. That's not the way you do it. I think that the way that is the best way to do it is to recruit the, the long, skinny guy and then have him gain weight, right? I mean, you look at all those guys we just named. I mean, AG was a wrestler. Dave Kemper was a basketball player. I mean, Eric Simonson, these guys are all coming in 220 pounds. It seems like that's the easier way to say, yeah, exactly. Scott Curry, same deal. seems like it's a lot easier to, to be athletic and be able to move then and then get stronger and bigger than it is to try to get more athletic when you're already huge, right? Yeah, for sure. And that, that's one thing that I think a, a trade of that offensive line group for a decade or so, they're even longer that they can all run, you know, smart guys get out and run um, tough. And like I said, knew how to work. Those were kind of the things that coaching staffs liked. They liked Montana guys because, frankly, Montana guys knew how to work. And so they would build them up. And, you know, there was no secret that I was going to redshirt. I actually came in thinking maybe I'd be a defensive end and old hack handed me number 72. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, so I knew I was going to redshirt. I, uh, Coach Germer put me as a center because he was a center. And I think, you know, he, he saw a lot of kind of me and him as far as being a um, you know, a more lean guy who needed to put weight on, but quick and fast and some of those things. And, and I just got killed. I mean, <laughs> Kelly Bryant and uh, Tyler Martin were the two defensive tackles. I remember Kelly Bryant just pushing me back into a fence. You know, I mean, right, he's, right. You know, he's not even six, five, eleven, you know, 300 pounds. <laughs> 225 till he was dead. <laughs> till he was dead, right? Yeah. Was over, you know, I mean, just big, strong. Uh, and then I'd bounce around and have to play tight end. Andy Pedic would, would throw me around a little bit. And, 
You know, those guys on defense could they could hit. So they had, we had a linebacking crew there and safeties that could come up and hit. So there's plenty. Of, it, it was definitely. Um, Checking you a little bit to see if you had the toughness to stick around and play, and and it, it was there were some tough days. It's tough to grab your helmet when you're getting beat up. But. Yeah, yeah. Scout scout team player of the year. There you go. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Um, well, let's talk about um, maybe the guys that were older than you because a lot of times that's part of college football too. Not just the guys on the D line that are sort of baptizing you with the way that they're being physical in practice, but also on your unit too. Probably somebody you got you guys you looked up to or somebody maybe took the, you under their wing. So who was sort of like the mentor? Yeah, you know, for me, Lee Thorson out of Cal. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Someone I, I knew a little bit. He was just, you know, he's four years older than I was. He was established junior by the time I got here, and and it's nice to have someone that's uh, big and established, and and just a friendly, nice guy to take you under right wing and say you're gonna be okay here. Uh, Matt Thusen is another guy. Uh, I, I'd say Matt was was less less of the soft love type of guy. He was, you know, again another smart guy who. Um, you just say quit your complaining, you'll be fine. And and uh, but he took care of everybody, you know. And I remember him specifically when you know we started playing as freshmen. I say we, Derek Decker, John Skinner, and I all started as freshmen, and and uh, he got Matt Thuson out there pulling us all together, saying you guys should be okay and calm down. It's just a first down kind of stuff, you know, because we got pretty excited. But those those two guys for sure are, are guys that I remember uh, very well, uh, taking me in the ring, their wing. Um, you know, Dallas Neal is another guy that mm-hmm. grabbed us and pulled us along. So, um, yeah, that, that group of that group of seniors was great as well. 2000 season, you get forced into action. Well, not forced, but I mean, there was an injury, right? Something, something happened uh, that kind of let you ha- get a spot in the rotation. Yeah, so uh, Brian Pelk got hurt out in Eastern Washington. Right, right. Helena native Brian Pelk, yep. Yep, a good buddy of mine. And, and he uh, got, got dinged over in Eastern Washington. I just moved from center to tackle because center wasn't happening for me. I think everyone figured that out and uh, turned out it was a lot better out in space. And so, yeah, I got a chance to play against Eastern Washington. They had a, a great pass rusher at the time. I'm going to forget his name, but he was all, all he was all conference, all yeah, yeah, everything, all American defensive end. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's a pretty quick baptism there. You know, I remember one of the first plays, I first play I went the wrong direction because I was so excited. And then uh, after that, I, just about got Drew Miller killed. So it did progress after that, that we didn't win the game. Uh, I think John Skinner played in that game as well at at the right tackle position. So, you know, two freshman tackles getting the first action and uh, getting a win. You know, coaching staff was happy and we just kept building from there. A lot of confidence and win win after win from there. When Coach Dennehy first left and Joe Glenn first took over, what do you remember about the transition? Yeah, so for myself, that was uh, right before my freshman year, after my, after my redshirt year. And again, I was not having a lot of fun playing center, uh, not quite sure if I was going to move back to defense or start bouncing around. And so you start looking at things like, do I want to go play at Carroll College? Do I want to try to look and just, you know, go to school somewhere? Love playing football. And, and uh, Coach Glenn and his staff came in and, and were fantastic. Um, you know, for me, Coach Coach Germer sticking around definitely was a huge uh, reason I stayed. Um but he put together a great coaching staff, and and real quick you could figure out that the advent of the zone defense had, had happened. I mean, we were straight. This was Coach Paulson's first go around as defensive coordinator before that, and it was a gap blitz, b gap blitz off the. I mean, real you know basic stuff. Yep, yep. And then you get uh, Coach Bresky and Coach Dorn in there, and there's people coming from all over the place. You know, where you got your offensive line coach going, where did he come from? I'm going, I don't know where he came. Where do you go? You know, that kind of stuff because there's. There's defensive ends dropping and guys blitzing from all over the, the place. So, yeah, that was a big change on defense offensively. Um, it was open it up and throw it. Same old, same old. You know, Coach Cockhill took over that that passing coordinator position and, and then offensive coordinator. So it was 
all the same stuff that you've been seeing from Montana for a, a long time. What do you remember about just the difference in personality? Because Mick Dennehy is, is a funny and, and engaging, charismatic guy, but nobody's really like Joe Glenn. I mean, Joe Glenn's like the legendary, you know, cowboy piano player dancing yeah. out, dancing at the bar, you know, doing whatever it takes. I mean, he's one of my favorite Montana characters, not just coaches ever. But uh, was it, a, I mean, were guys pretty receptive? Because it already had been another coaching change pretty, I mean, some of those older guys had already been through a coaching change earlier in their careers too. Right, right. And like I tell everyone, I, I played for Coach Hawk my last year, so I had all three of them. And I just say there's a lot of different ways to win. And there, there's some start personality contrast there, contrast there. But, you know, Coach Glenn, what I remember about him is, is he was always the guy that come up, put, put his arm around you. You know, everything's gonna be okay. And his his coordinators were the ones that would chew your ass, right, and get on you and say, get moving and things like that. But he was always kind of like the dad that would say, oh, you're doing great, you're doing fine, come on. You know, and always have a joke for somebody and always, you know, didn't matter who you were, uh, whether you're on scout team or a fifth year senior, uh, All-American guy, he'd, he'd be, he'd come up to you, talk to you, tell you jokes, laugh on the sideline, things like that. So he kept things light, um, which, which I appreciated, like I said, our, our team uh, during his years was, um, I think, carried over that that tenacity with that Coach Denny instilled, but also had, um, you know, had a good time playing football for sure. And Coach Germer, that was his first iteration of multiple iterations as the offensive line coach at Montana. But that was when he was a young guy. Cause I mean, he, he was less than 10 years out of being in college, right? Yeah. I think he's about 26 or so. Yeah. I mean, he was really young. Yeah. And that was his first coaching gig. So what did you guys think? Cause I mean, he had been a legendary Grizz and NFL guy, but not nearly the veteran coach that he is now. Yeah. But it, you know, Chad's been a guy I mean, from day one, you know, just as a technician, he is, there's, there's not anyone better. And I, I say that playing at a lot of different levels and for a lot of different coaches. Um, he, he's as good as it gets and, and for, Football coaching the offensive line, um, and the thing with with Coach Germer is, is he sticks up for his guys. I mean, he he'll get on you for sure, no doubt about it. And and um, you you go through, like I said, getting your ass chewed a little bit, but at the same time, uh, no other coach is going to get on you, and no other, no you know nowhere else are you going to get get that sort of um, his treatment. So he's 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 a great players coach. Guys love to play for him. Um, you know what the expectations are. You know you're going to play hard. You're going to play nasty. Um, you're going to work hard in the offseason, in the weight room. Uh, but at the same time, he's going to do everything he can for you. And uh, you know, to this day, if I go shoot, I see him in golf tournaments and anywhere else. It's good to see him. Good to catch up with him and, and always a, a handshake and a, and a smile and a, a good discussion. So he's a good one. You got hurt in 2000, right? I did. It broke yeah. your wrist. Is that right? Broke my ankle. Your ankle. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yep. Yeah, down at Weber State right before the uh, Bobcat game it was my first Bobcat game and, and we ran a uh, quarterback sneak and, and uh, tight end came down hard and caught my leg up and tried to play a little bit more and didn't work. So so yeah, I spent the rest of that season. I think I, I played seven games and then missed out on Montana State in the playoffs, which is about you know that's what you're playing for. So, for sure. Um, yeah, I spent a lot of time in the stands, you know, watching everyone get to, to play the fun part of the season and and watching the national championship game and seeing how close we came. You know, just two points down and to lose that one to a great Georgia Southern team um, definitely stoked a fire in me. At that moment in time, Georgia Southern was sort of 
Montana before Montana, right? I mean, Georgia Southern had been the team that had dominated that first era of FCS football. The first like six or eight years of Division One AA was kind of just all over the place because the playoffs was kind of just pandemonium and you had teams that would get hot like Boise State or Idaho State or Montana State and just make a run all the way. But then in the mid 80s, Georgia Southern started establishing themselves. And then by that moment, I think that was their fifth national championship. So they were a power like no other at this level of football. Um, Obviously, you didn't play in that game, but what did you remember about that 2000 uh, run to the, the playoffs? But more importantly, then playing Georgia Southern because that was sort of the apex when they had, you know, like I say, the real Adrian Peterson, right? <laughs> that guy was a beast. Yeah, yeah, he was. And, I, you know, I guess the playoff run there, I remember, you know, playing a lot of games at home, it being cold, having teams that, you know, you see that for the first time coming up to Montana who aren't used to the cold and, and frankly didn't like it all that much. And, and we put it to a few teams there. And then uh, I remember Jimmy Ferris catching a, a long touchdown against Appalachian State that, that put us in the national championship game. So uh, pretty pretty spectacular run there. And then the national championship game, you know, I, honestly what I remember the most is how hard it rained. I mean, yeah. it rained like I've never seen it rain before. You know, we sat in the front front row there, and, and I mean, it was up over the front row and into the second rows as much as it rained. Uh, I remember, you know, uh, Drew Miller playing, John Edwards coming in to relieve him there, and um, – you know, kind of that that momentum swing. Uh, I remember Kamakana uh, Kamaloa uh, was walking out in pregame, slipped on the um, on a step and broke his wrist, and um, so they, we didn't have him. He's our best best tackle for sure at that time. So you know, all those things that that happened, and then the game. I just remember. I mean, Adrian Peterson was like you said, a beast. He was a, a different type of back that we hadn't seen. Um, I thought our defense did a nice job, but it, it was you know, it was. Something where you, you finally got a taste of it, and it was, it was good to see because, like I said, the next next six months or so, eight months where we're getting ready for that camp, it's we knew what we wanted to be and knew how close we were. Looking at the box score of that game, crazy statistics. I mean, Montana, 28 first downs. Georgia Southern, 14. Montana, 88 plays ran. Georgia Southern, 59. But the difference was of Georgia Southern's 390 yards, about 300 of them came on the ground, and Adrian Peterson had about 175 of those ones. So that was sort of a contrasting styles, right? I mean, it's triple option versus spread it and throw it all over the place. Yeah, for sure. And that, I think that's one of the things we learned during that game is, you know, it's to, you can throw the ball, that's great. But when, when it was that, when it rained that hard, I mean, it was, it was tough. You know, those guys on the ground, they're getting three, four yards of carry, and it's just first down, first down, and then they break one, you know. So, um, yeah, you know, it's like I said, it, it was an interesting game. They, they jumped out on us. We came back, and one of those where you go, boy, if we had five more minutes, we won that game. Yep. Just, just couldn't get it. Couldn't get it done. Yep. So then let's talk about the offseason leading into 2001. Uh, obviously, bummer for uh, to win, to, excuse me, to lose that national championship game in 2000. Uh, sucks for the guys that careers ended at that moment. But a lot of times the the big loss like that can be the motivating factor, right? Yeah. It can be the thing that drives you. And so what do you remember about that offseason and just sort of the collective mentality of your team? Yeah, it, I think it's just being so close. You know, seeing, seeing what a national champ, championship looks like, knowing that we can get there knowing the core guys we had back was was amazing we had a strong group of seniors coming back i mean leaders in every position and um you know that's that's what it was you got to get three more points you got to win so that was 
you know, like I said, you, you have a good offseason, those guys showing up, buying in. Um, you know, when I first showed up in Montana, there was, you know, a few guys that worked out in the summer, but it wasn't many. And by the time I was, you know, sophomore year, it was 90% of the guys coming back, you know, and then 100%, and that's just the expectation now. But it was a, that's when there was a huge shift to go, okay, we got to get stronger. we got to get faster. We can't play ourselves into shape during two days. we got to come showing up ready to play. And I think for all of us, that was um, – that was the, the expectation and the focus, and especially the offensive line group. You know, we had three guys that were the were freshmen that needed to play as sophomores, and yep. needed, you know, you can't play it two forty, two fifty. So that was, um, you know, we just got bigger, stronger, faster. So is you Skinner? Who's the third? Derek Decker. Oh, right. Derek Decker. Yep. Huntley Project for sure. Well, uh, one guy that was uh, such a unforgettable part of that offensive line unit, but also uh, just of the, that Grizz era, Thatcher Slay. I mean, he was apps. I loved all the offensive linemen back then because I've always been an offensive lineman in my head and in my heart. But Thatcher was like my idol, man. Like he was just, he was like a, a, some legendary character or something, right? He was like this beast of a man. He's like lives in the woods or something like, and just getting to know him now. And I realize he actually did live in the woods right he actually did live in a cabin in the woods outside of whitefish um but the fact that you guys did have a young group within this guy who i mean he was kind of the alpha dog of not just the team right just the league i mean he's one of the meanest guys that the league's ever seen yeah for sure i mean he he was the epitome of a, a, the, the tough nasty strong offensive lineman i mean and I, i'll tell, I tell everyone this that that my career went to where it went because of thatcher yeah see someone play with that intensity at every every down uh, to prepare himself, both in the weight room, uh, film room, wherever it was. I mean, he was he was ready to go. And then when it was time to go, I mean, bodies were flying. That that was the expectation. You know, if it's why aren't people on the ground? <laughs> right. He wants them on the ground and make them pick themselves back up again. And and yeah, no doubt about it. Like I said, we had strong leaders in every group, but he was the leader for the offensive line for multiple years there. But especially his senior year, and for the offense. You know, I mean, he's a guy that everyone looked to and. Um, you know, playing left tackle next to him at left guard. I knew, you know, if it's third and three, they're running the ball right behind us. Like, we're, it's coming. So, and the defense knew it and everyone knew it. And so that makes you, like I said, step up your game pretty quick. And there's no, um, you know, there, there's there's things you screw up, which which happens in sports, but it was never an effort thing, especially around Thatcher, because you would, you would not want to have that conversation. <laughs> well, when you guys were going about getting stronger, putting on the weight, all that, how did you go about doing it? Because I think that p- the common fan doesn't really understand this. Like, the modern now college football, the way that Alabama and, and Georgia and everybody, Clemson got it all set up, I mean, they have training tables. They got personal chefs. These guys are eating steak and prawns all the time, and, like, they're putting on weight like professional athletes, where back then, I mean, you guys are just like going through the drive-thru, right? Like you guys are just go to Costco and seeing how much rice and beans you can buy, right? Yeah, right. You know, you're going through Taco Del Sol. <laughs> right. Exactly. Give me two burritos, right? Burritos, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, you know, for a lot of us, it, it was honestly that that summer I worked for uh, Swank Construction, their group out of Kalispell. So Skinner and I did that. So we worked hard all day and then go lift weights at night and, you know, eating, eating throughout the day, make sure we get our calories in. But um, it's kind of, it's a full-time gig, you know, oh, man. trying to put that weight on and, and trying to focus on it. It's it's a full-time deal. Well, especially when you're six 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 seven, like you and right. Skinner are, right? right? For sure. And I, I'll tell you, it didn't hurt me being on crutches for about six <laughs> Around campus, you know, that's a long hike on so upper body got pretty big there. Um, I wouldn't recommend it, but that's <laughs> well. Um, what do you remember about fall camp going into the 2001 season? Uh, was it a was it a different feel, especially considering the the loss you guys had come off of the previous year and being so close? Yeah, you know what I remember about it most was just um, everyone was seemed to be at each other's throats a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. to see somebody new. 
Um, there seemed, I just, I recall just a lot of, a lot of altercations in, in practice, a lot of fights. Um, you know, certainly we all got along, but it, it wasn't, it's, it's tough when you're hot and you're tired and you're sore and everything else and you just want to go hit somebody else. So it was, it was time, you know, that by that, that time we could have walked out, I think in the first week and, and started our season. But that's, that's what I recall is it being very competitive, um, just competitive for positions, competitive for playing time, um, you know, which is what you want. You know, you don't want guys walking in and getting handed a position. You want you want guys pushing each other, and that's what was happening all around. So that was it was fun. It was fun to watch. You mentioned uh, Drew Miller, and then how John Edwards kind of came into that 2000 national championship game, uh, and then Dr- Miller graduates. And I I think that um, I don't I, I don't know how to really say this. Drew Miller was so talented, and uh, I. Don't necessarily know if people I think that the people that remember him remember him but I think he needs to be remembered more because he I mean he could sling it man and but losing a guy like that I mean obviously it's a big question mark then but uh Johnny Montana has a lot of intangibles that he brought to the table too but what do you remember about the quarterback uh sort of um changeover the fact that that uh Johnny Edwards was expected to be the guy yeah you know like I said the the year before and and this happens sometimes I think everyone gets enamored with a new guy uh, sure and they forget like what the guy's done who's been there sure said Drew Miller through as nice of all as you'll see. I mean, any level, and, and it's, it's pretty spectacular when you can swing the ball around. Um, Johnny, a lot of intangibles, tough guy, uh, can run it. You know, he's going to be a smart guy. He's going to put the ball where it needs to be. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he would be the first one to tell you he didn't throw as well as Drew. Uh, but he had some pretty good weapons out there running around. Um, we also had Brandon Neal come in from Wyoming that year, and so there was some competition there. I don't, I don't think anyone thought it was John's job to have, and he never treated it like it was his job to have. It was um, competitive all the time, and, you know, those guys got along well. Uh, but they were, they were competitive. You know, they both want to play, and there's only one position. And that's, like I said, when you're talking about – how was that fall camp? It was just, just competitive all around. It didn't matter what position it was. There's no one walking in uh, and saying, this is this is my job to have. It, uh, it is funny, too, to think about what you just said. So I think that that's so, uh, such a, a trademark of, of Grizz Nation, too. Grizz Nation is always enamored with the backup guy. The only guy that wasn't enamored, the only guy that was like, oh, we maybe we should try the backup was Dave Diggins. And other than that, because Dave was even the backup at one point to Burt Wilberger. But it was like, I remember, you know, oh, what about Johnny Edwards when Drew Miller was a quarterback? Ooh, what about Brandon Neal when John Edwards was the quarterback? I mean, this happened to my buddy Cole Burke was the whole time he was there. He had to fight off multiple different challengers. And we're even seeing it now. There's all sorts of people that say, what about this kid from Bozeman? What about Chris Brown? It's like, well, Cam Humphrey's a sixth-year senior, man. Let's just roll with the senior. It is funny, though, because Grizz fans have kind of been like that for a long time. Well, you just, I don't want to say you're spoiled. You get a chance at our level, you get some some great drop-down players. For sure. Great transfers. I mean, it's, that's what you want, right? You want guys that are getting pushed and – and, you know, the guys that rise to the top are usually there for a reason. So, um, yeah, I think it, it just makes everyone better. But I, I, I do appreciate that, you know, whether it's running back or receiver or, you know, um, I always I always say those coaches are, are there seven days a week and they're watching every day. They, they probably know what's going on. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, the 2001 season gets started off with a loss. And uh, this was, uh, I, I remember Joe Glenn's told the story before, you know, he had for sale signs in his yard because people were like, well, what's going on? We played for the national championship last year and, and uh, a 10 to 9. Or I guess that was the 2000 season, yeah. right? Because that was Glenn's first game. That's right. That's when that story uh, came about. Uh, no, so then in, in 2001, uh, what do you remember about the start? of the season or was there a moment uh, where you just sort of thought 
wow, okay, uh, we got it. We got a roll. This is a pretty special team. We might be able to make another run at it. Yeah, I think we knew that going in. Yeah, where we'd finish in the in the conference, and you mentioned that loss in two thousand. I mean, it was made real clear to me that you don't lose at home. Right. It's just that's what it was. You don't lose at home, and and so um, you know we knew what our schedule was. We knew um, who we had at home. We were comfortable with those games at home. Um, I remember on, the thing that I start thinking about when we were a team. I thought you know we're pretty good. Is actually when we traveled out to Hawaii and got beat. Right. That was our, our one loss that season. But they had a receiver Ashley Lee, who was a first round guy. They had Timmy Chang, who's. Um, he threw for five thousand some yards. I mean, he, he was the all-time leading. I think he was the all-time leading uh, thrower in the history of NCAA football until Colt Brennan, the next to Hawaii quarterback, broke it. But yeah, Jimmy Chang was transcendent. Yeah, and I just remember rolling out and that the first drive. You know, we start on ten or twenty, whatever it was, and just looking at that defense, they're just a different set of dudes. I mean, they, they look different. They didn't look like big sky guys that we played before. Um, you know, they had defensive end. I think it was a first or second round draft pick a couple of years later. Um, but we moved the ball, moved it down to the two the first time, the three the second time, ended up with six points, and, and you know, you can't go on the road and kick field goals. But, I mean, even halftime of that game, Calvin Coleman gets a pick and takes it back. Um, you know, we're in a position to score again. So there's there's opportunities, and one of those where you look at it and go, we should have won that game, you know, and start looking around going, if we should be, win that game, we shouldn't lose many, you know. So that's, that's when I felt pretty comfortable about who we had as a team and just how we played, you know, there's – no one was getting to the quarterback. We were able to run the ball. Defense was stout. You know, they didn't, they didn't give up much. You start watching Hawaii a couple weeks later, and they're blowing people out by 50, and you're going, we're pretty good. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, fiber deployments, and community events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com slash news. couple weeks later then uh eastern washington comes to town yep. you guys go double overtime yep. and you gut it out against the eagles and then after that then you started just hanging it on people so uh but do you i mean do you remember much about that game and it, was that sort of uh, another sort of because you gutted out the double overtime win uh, it's sort of a turning point in the yeah. year yeah the eastern game i mean i personally uh, like to beat eastern about morning when I- <laughs> That's right. So, I mean, it's just it, it's a it's a rivalry uh, for us. It's a rivalry for me. Um, I do remember that game. It was a hard fought game. Um, you know what I remember is in, in I think it was double overtime. It was first overtime. Uh, Johansi catching a pass and uh, going down the side there. Caught it. Got flipped over. Uh, called him down and I I'm right behind him and and I would never tell anyone this, but I think that was probably a fumble. You know, we're, right. So. Uh, we go on to uh, win off to Molden and catch the big pass in the end zone, win that game. And then, you know, again, when you can win and take take away lessons from a game like that, um, that's a lot, you know. So I, I think from there we just rolled. It wasn't – there wasn't a whole lot after that where we had a lot of issues. Interesting dynamic uh, in late October when you guys went to Northern Arizona because I think that was either the first or second time that NAU had hosted Montana since Jerome Sowers had left. And Jerome was such a beloved coach when he was here. I mean, he was the D coordinator for that 95 team and a guy that everybody really liked. And uh, it was so interesting because he had a lot of success at NAU, but he could never beat the Grizzlies, man. But uh, do you remember that trip to Flag? I do. I do. And I remember uh, they were riding pretty high at that point in time. Uh, Yeah. They had a nice team. Yeah. they played that flex defense, you know, it's kind of a different defense to yep. prepare for. Yep. 
and I just remember jumping out on him and just torching him. I mean, it was one of those things where I think, uh, John uh, Fitzgerald cut a, 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 a play action pass over the middle about the first play of the game, took it 50 or so yards, and from there it was just uh, again a track meet. And they, they couldn't they couldn't stop us running the ball. Um, you know, John with the play action was, was on target and throwing deep balls, and it was just one of those games where everything clicked, came together. And so a game that I think everyone expected to be a, a fist fight and a, a close game turned into a turned into a blowout pretty quick. There's been so many great players in general at Montana, uh, but so many great skill players too. But um, it seems like it's always ebbed and flowed. When there's really good receivers, then sometimes, I guess, sometimes it's the receivers that are the kind of the star guys leading the way, sometimes it's the running backs, but you guys had both. Yeah. Uh, Johansson Humphrey's definitely one of the best running backs in Grizz history. Atu Molden, definitely one of the best receivers in Grizz history. Uh, so what do you remember about those two guys and just the, the way that they were sort of the, the focal points of the offense? Yeah, for sure. You know, yo, just watching him run, and and, and I think we got over 2,000 yards this season, if I recall. I mean, that was uh-huh. for us, but it, I mean, he was special. Just, just some of the runs you'd see, I mean, running between bodies, you know, guys blocking him, he'd just cut in and, and get 10 more yards, able to catch the ball, able to block. I mean, he's your legitimate three-down back, which you don't always see. Um, but he was he was dangerous whenever he had the ball in his hands. And and a guy that was humble, um, always, you know, picking us up, always talking about the offensive line first, talking about his teammates first, and, and someone who's just so incredibly talented. I mean, just, um, like I said, he's a full, full package guy and uh, treated everybody well and you know same with Atu. I mean, always have always smile on his face. Um, what's up, dog? Just say. I mean, you see, what's up, dog? He's still like that, man. I I called him for an interview a couple of years ago, and uh, I mean, we bullshitted for 15 minutes before we actually got the interview started. Cause he's like, "What's going on, man? What's going on up in Missoula? What's going on? Tell me what's going on." Yeah, yeah no, he just just loves to play football. Yeah, loves, loves being around the team. Um, Definitely had more of that uh, what, I'd, what I'd call a prima donna receiver kind of look. You know, have his dog at practice, things like that. <laughs> right. you know, there's no way in a million years an offensive lineman. <laughs> right. I mean, nothing like that. But, I mean, he, he backed it up, and he was tough, too. I mean, he could block. And that, that's the thing about a receiver. He, he'd go catch a fade ball and then block. Um, uh, you know, same with even, like, hit guys like uh, T.J. Okers, Dane Oliver, uh, smaller slot receivers, Rory Zickman. You know, there's guys, those guys – I mean, they're out there blocking, and they're blocking their ass off because they know, you know, everyone else is too. And it's, there's no job that was too good for anybody. So, um, you know, like I said, we all took a lot of pride in, in uh, Yo's season that year and the number of yards he rushed for. Um, but, it, I mean, just all around, that was that was a good offense, you know. And the two tight ends we had were, were stellar as well. I mean, you got um, John Fitzgerald and Spencer Frederick, you know, who, I mean, both those guys, hard-nosed, big dudes, fly around. I mean, like I said, every position had – had guys and uh, everyone was accountable. So after that Eastern Washington game, then you guys just started rolling, particularly on offense. I think eight straight wins and, and he scored 38 points or more in all of them uh, leading up to the Montana State game. And uh, then he hung 38 on the Bobcats as well. But um, just take us through the week uh, of Montana State. I mean, those are some of the most vivid memories guys have, right? Preparing for the Bobcats and getting ready for those games. But at that moment in time, you guys had such a stranglehold on the rivalry as well. So uh, it, it was 15, gunner for 16 straight. So uh, what do you remember about preparation for the cat game and then and then just uh, some memories from that game in Bozeman yeah for sure so you know I think we played Idaho the week before that the game got rescheduled because of September 11th so um, interesting got that rescheduled played that game and then and then had the cats and I always remember um, you know when, when you'd walk off the field from whoever you played before like I said I think it might be Idaho this time but 
it was, I mean, as soon as you hit the locker room, cat week. Never right. excited. Like, you, you know, you're not, you're not looking ahead, but at the same time, you're always looking at that week from, you know, from the day after to the next year. Um, you're looking at that game, and everyone's excited about it. That week of practice, uh, it was very physical. A lot of guys flying around, taking guys to the ground where you typically wouldn't, um, you know, have scrimmages, and it's guys are ready to roll because it's 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 the big game for us it's a big game for them um but it is the game so uh i remember you know just that trip going down there and um you know they they'd struggled against us the year before i think they were 0-11 that year they had been 0-11 yep two yeah. kramer's first year in 2000 yeah and you can tell he's turning them around you know he's getting them to play and they're getting some um they're good up front, uh, getting some confidence. They were, they were young, but they were good. Um, had a good linebacking crew. And so, you know, it was a challenge for the offense. And again, it's for us, it, it was a, a very physical game, a game that, that we wanted to make sure that we uh, made sure where everyone stood. And um, that was fun, you know, just the, the, the things I remember in that game are goal line runs. Um, you know, Thatcher and I picked up a great twist and Yo walked in and, you know, that sort of thing just sticks with you. That Just, you know, pushing guys in the end zone and your guy walks in untouched, that's a pretty good feeling. Um, and like you said, all around our guys always played hard with that game. But that game was fun. You mentioned the Idaho game, and I had forgotten that that had happened because September 11th, that's crazy. It's the 20th anniversary of that as well. I mean, yeah. this Grizz home game we have on Saturday evening against Western Illinois, that's the 20th anniversary of September 11th. That's crazy to think about as well. Um, but what was your perspective on Idaho? Because they had uh, they had left the league at that point. I remember talking to all the 95 guys, and, yeah. and they said, hey, Montana State's whatever it is, but it was Idaho that we hated, Idaho that we wanted to take after. And uh, I think that that, that sort of uh, bitterness remained for a long time because Idaho and Montana continued to play, and Montana continued to beat Idaho, even though Idaho was, you know, yeah. big, bad FBS team. So what do you remember about just the, your guys' perspective on the Vandals? Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. You know, we, we played for the little brown stein, and I always give my friends from Idaho a hard time say hey I never left lost to Idaho years now so come get it um, I know I was looking through because uh, the big sky had such a great weekend the opening weekend three FBS wins and I was looking through all the wins of the last 20 years over FBS teams there's 18 of them well five of them were Montana over Idaho until by, finally 2003 Idaho said no no we're not going to do that anymore we're not going to keep <laughs> losing to FCS teams yeah, yeah no it, it is funny yeah and it is you know same sort of thing where you're playing a team that's um, you know up a level or they're, they're playing up a level um, and it, I think it's just a pride thing you take that into um take that into account and take it personally you know that that uh, some of these schools didn't recruit us some of these schools uh, didn't think we were good enough and and um, you know you have that chip on your shoulder and and you know that's why we won those games because frankly uh, I think we wanted a little bit more and it meant something more to us and meant to them so um, you know but I, I remember coach Cable is a head coach there so you guys saw him and um, I guess it was the Oakland Raiders. He was down there, yep. um, going through a, a tryout down there. So you know, he still remembers all that stuff. And it's, yeah, you know, for him, it's Montana, the team that got me fired. But um, you know, I do have good friends on that team, and they're close. You know, it's not they're not far away. But there's there's guys on that team that, um, you know, uh, Libby, uh, Jake Scott, uh, Brian Linger, and you know, they, they were actually friends because we had friends over there. But when it was time to go, it was it was time to go. It seems like just yesterday and a lifetime ago that the University of Montana last claimed a football national championship. 20 years ago, the Grizz rolled to their second national title in seven years behind a Montana-made roster featuring some of the most memorable figures in the history of the Grizz. While much has changed with the Montana program and much has changed about Missoula, the one thing that hasn't changed is the trust folks around Montana can have in First Security Bank. 
First Security Bank has long been one of the fiercest supporters of the University of Montana and its awesome sports teams. And First Security Bank is proud to support Grizz Greats, the 20th anniversary of Montana's 2001 National Champions, a 20-part podcast series with interviews and memories from that unforgettable run by the Grizz two decades ago. First Security Bank, proud supporters, ESPN Missoula and the Grizz Greats podcast series. The playoffs, you look at the playoff slate, and it actually resembles so much those playoff runs in 95 and 96, too, because you guys had home field advantage, and you had some teams from the South Common, yeah. Southland Conference teams, and I, I, I mean, I would love I would love to get the group of coaches from that 95 to 2001 era together from the Southland, because Southland was always getting sent up to Missoula, and they were always just getting the tar beat out of them, whether it was Stephen F. Austin, or you know, uh, you, well, you guys played Northwestern State and Sam Houston State, um, but when you guys know you have home field advantage at Washington Grizzly Stadium in December, I mean, there's nothing that's better for your confidence than that, right? Right. Get cold. <laughs> right? Like, bring it. Get cold and get loud. So, um, yeah, you know, we're excited about it. We know what the fans are like. Um, you know how excited they get, one, for the playoffs, but having home playoff games. They like when the weather's bad. We like it when the weather's bad. And you get those teams that um, haven't seen snow in their lives. You know, the guys that are walking out there thinking it's not going to be that bad. And, you just you can't practice catching a ball when it's frozen. You can't practice tackling someone when when it's frozen. You know, and your fingers hurt. You know, all that stuff is it just hurts. Like things are different. You, for sure, practicing out there it's just another day of practice. But yeah, for sure, that was uh, that was a good opportunity to get those guys up here. Did you think the fans are louder when it's cold too? Because I've always thought that. I've always thought Washington Grizzly Stadium rings more loud than ever. It, it's a combination of factors. People are yelling more to stay warm. Yep. They're probably having a few more beverages before and after beforeing i guess uh but i mean did you remember that part too i mean did, did it seem even louder when uh, when you guys were in the playoffs yeah honestly the, the, for us i think the level goes up for everybody it goes up for the team goes up for the fans um they're excited they're they're plugged in they're they're engaged you know you, you talk about it sometimes on your show uh, people leaving in the third quarter yep. taking that kind of for, uh, for granted that's not what happens in the playoffs i mean people are there they're in their seats um they're ready to go and i think night games and cold weather games bring out the best in, in montana fans so um they're always fun to watch um and, it, it, and the fans drive us you know it's, it's amazing how much you know I, I those guys playing without fans you know different levels last year it's tough you know you saw people having a hard time competing and hard time I'm getting up to play and it feels more like a practice you know or an AAU game than than you know what it is which is in, in one of the most awesome places to play college sports in America you know period uh, don't care what sport it is so yeah that's that's just it, it, it's great to see them get you guys get to the semis you got another top five team coming to town in northern Iowa yep it seemed like it was going to be a showdown. Not so much. No. Thirty-eight, nothing. Northern Iowa did nothing. I mean, it was it was one of the great Grizz performances. Period. But especially defensively as well. So, um, just take us back to that day, December fifteenth, two thousand and one. Yeah, for sure. So one of the one of the things that was hyped up in that game, like apparently before any of us were at Montana, uh, Kurt Scrafford or not Kurt Scrafford. Sorry, it's going to be uh, uh, Scott Gregg yep. had, had cut one of their defensive ends and hurt their knee. And this is long in playoffs. Years ago. Yeah, before yeah. I mean I'm before I'm in high school. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's all bolt and board material for them and they come out and this they're they think they're gonna hurt us. I think you know, I was just like this is gonna be interesting because it was you know, guys going low and guys hitting late and they had a couple guys ejected from the game. Um, and you know, you start putting on them and uh, I'll tell you what I remember the most is we had a tackle screen in that game and I was gonna get the ball. Um, 
and it was run the play. I'm wide open, and Pelk snapped it over Edwards' head, and I, I was giving him a hard time. Like you were jealous. That's all that was. <laughs> That's a touchdown for Dylan. Uh, Ten nothing. I'm nervous. I'm like, oh man, this is a game, but. I mean, after that, it was it, it. We just bore on, you know, and they they weren't there for the game. They, after a while, it was it was over, you know. And you can tell those teams that are, are not fully engaged and fully into it. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of penalties, um, a lot of frustration. Guys yelling at each other. Guys tired. Guys cold. You know, like I said, when it gets cold and you're losing by 20 points, it's not a fun place to be. And everyone's yelling at you, and you got all those. Um, those uh, fans behind your your home bench, you know, telling you what they think of you and your family and your girlfriend and everything else. Um, it's you're looking for that bus pretty quick, and that's that's kind of how that game was for us. Then you head on back to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and uh, you guys probably I, I can imagine it was probably a collective team on a mission after having been there the year before and fallen to a team from the Southern Conference, and you had another one coming uh, with Furman. Um, but what did you think going into it? I mean, were you guys nervous? Were you confident? Were you excited? Another opportunity? What was the sort of the emotion behind getting back to the national championship game? I think it was confidence and that, that it was an expectation for us. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously you want to win that win that game, but it we we expected to be there again and so this was this was the game for us that year i mean that we expected to be there we expected to be playing someone we thought maybe georgia southern again Furman was great um appalachian state was coming along some of those schools but i we, we knew it was going to be you know someone who's from the from the south and plays a lot of football and is going to be very comfortable in a big time game and, and that's what we got um but I, like i said we were very confident um everyone felt good bodies were healthy um yeah, and just it, being there the year before was a huge advantage for us to get a sense of what, you know, where, how do you practice? Where do you dress out? What, what, what's the bus look like? What's the hotel look like? You know, all those things, you, you knew it beforehand. So those little things are sometimes a, get to be a pain or a distraction that weren't for us. Um, and, you know, that game, the game was a lot of fun. Our defense played about as well as the defense would play. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they firm had an awesome defense themselves. They had a linebacker who was, I mean, ran sideline to sideline, making tackles all over the place. Um, and uh, it was, yeah, it was a... This game. You guys had a, I believe, if I remember this correctly, a 99-yard drive for the lone touchdown for Montana in that game. Yep. And uh, that was about midway through the second quarter, and then Chris Snyder hits a field goal. It's your 10 nothing. But in the second half, I mean, what were your thoughts? Just because, like you said, I mean, not a touchdown by Furman until very late in the fourth quarter. I mean, the Grizz, I mean, the defense basically pitched a shutout. They did, and it was clear early on. I mean, that, we get in halftime, and and the coach which is, you know, obviously we want to keep scoring, but they're at a point where we just don't want to put our defense in a bad position. Sure. That team's not going 80 yards against our defense. They're not going 50 yards against our defense. So, um, you know, that was that was kind of mentality. It was, again, there was some weather there, and it, I think some conservative play calling, but it, a lot of it had to do with we want to stay on their side of the 50, and, and that's where we were. You know, I mean, they were they were putting back to us, and we get on the 40, and they'd get it on the 20 or the 10, and then put it back to us. You know, I mean, Kind of one of those games where it's a you know it's like a baseball pitching duel. You got you got two great pitchers on the mound. You get two runs against the guy, and you go, okay, our guy's gonna win. So just don't don't make any mistakes. And uh, yeah, you said a 99 yard drive. That was that was one of the great um, drives. I think the greatest drive of my career anyway. And I'm sure a lot of guys would say that. It was 
you know, against the stout defense, just keep, and it was no, no big plays. It was just chipping away down the field. And I mean, you take up seven, eight, nine minutes, and that's a long time for defense to be on the field, a long time for offense to be sitting. 13 to six, the final score. Montana gets its second national championship in seven years and uh, reaffirms itself as absolutely among, if not the great programs in the country at that moment in time at the Division One AA level. What was it like on the way back? I mean, were you, the, the, do you remember the locker room? Do you remember what it was like at yeah, celebrating yeah. with your team? Yeah, for sure. So uh, the, the first thing I remember is, you know, we're still in this game and it's uh, Furman scores on the last play of the game and it's a, just this bomb they throw up and and uh, guy comes down with it and runs, scores a touchdown. They don't even kick the extra point. But for us, you know, we're kind of looking around like, is this real? Are we going to win this thing? We're going to be champions. And and so we didn't even get to the point where we had the, the Gatorade bath figured out. Or right, that, I mean, right. So, so um, Coach Glenn got a bunch of uh, water showers and beer showers at night, you know, after the game and everything like that, uh, to the point where he was telling us to stop because he was tired of going and taking showers in his room. <laughs> Uh, it was great, you know. I mean, those Montana people can know how to throw a party. Did you guys stay in Chattanooga that night, or did you come yeah. back to Missoula? Because I know the '95 team—they got on charter and they came back. So then they, I think, a couple establishments probably stayed open past bar time uh, when they got back in '95. But so you guys stayed in Chattanooga. Yeah, so you guys are, so you guys are hanging out in the hotel. It was great. We had a huge conference room. Uh, yeah, and know. probably a bunch of Grizz fans down there too. Grizz fans, yep. uh, ton of family. You know, all the, all of us getting together. You know, for the last time as that team. Um, it was just fun, you know, and, and just that feeling of, you know, we did it. I mean, all everything we worked for, all the goals achieved, um, you know, and you're kind of thinking, what next? But that's, that's, you know, it's one of those things where you say, I'm a champion, you can't take that away from me, you know, and, and that just, like I said, that the, the trip home was fantastic. You know, shoot, we got home and, and people were, were celebrating us for a while and we were happy to join. So it was a great experience. And then uh, the next couple years, uh, successful, certainly, uh, but tough to get back to that mountaintop. And then all of a sudden, here we are 20 years later, and Montana has not won a national championship since then. And I think if you would have told people back then that that would be the case, that would have seemed crazy because Montana had it rolling so much. But the 95 national championship, a distinct moment in time because that was sort of the moment when Montana announced themselves. Idaho had moved up. Boy State had moved up. Nevada had moved up. And uh, Montana, all of a sudden, now they are the power, the Western power. And uh, it kept sustaining. It kept sustaining. But have you been able to put this into perspective? I mean, now that it's been 20 years, what is your perspective on that season? Because I think that people kind of started taking for granted Montana being in national championship games and winning national championships. And it's just, it's just even if Montana was making it look easy, it's not that easy. Yeah. I mean, first 20 years seems like went <laughs> by fast. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and even for us, you know, you figured we were here twice. We're going to be back again. And you just, you don't know how hard it is. Guys get hurt. Um, you know, guys do different things and don't play as well or whatever happens. And the target grows on your back. Yeah, That's sure. one of the things that, like, when Bobby Houck took over, he was enduring the, all the previous success for everybody that came before him. He loves being that marked man and having the marked team. But, I mean, that's a huge factor, too, right? I mean, everybody was gunning to beat Montana at all times. Yeah, you know, and they, they remember when you pace them by 30. For know, sure. They're going to uh, go and give your best shot every time. And so, yes, you know, some of that starts to happen. Um and it's just it's tough to stay on top i mean it's it is it's anyone that's been there you look at any pro sports teaming like that i mean it's just it's fleeting 
and it's just the way that it works out. You know, there's coaches that move on, and if you're a successful program, your coaches are going to go somewhere, and they're going to recruit great guys. And, For sure. You know, so, um, you know, that's part of it. Um, and a lot of it, like I said, comes down to luck. You know? It is too, man. And I, I thought this often, and I actually said this on the show the other day, because when Coach Houck said that this Washington win was his best win, I was thinking about how probably Coach Houck's two best wins at Montana before going into Seattle and beating Washington were in the semifinals of the playoffs. When they beat uh, James Madison in uh, at James Madison in 2008 to go to the national championship, and then in 2009 when they beat App State at home to go to the national championship, they beat the best team in the country both those afternoons. Yep. It just happened to not be for the national championship, and then they sort of had a they ran they were kind of almost out of gas when they were in the national championship game. So sometimes you're right, the draw and then the luck it plays into this too. Matchups, everything like that. For sure. Uh, yeah. So you know, I, I'd, I'd be in that boat too, saying that they w- we wouldn't win a national championship for the next 20 years because it was like I said I think. We, we had it rolling there for a while, and and uh, you know I think we got it rolling again. To tell you the truth, but it's it's there's so many teams out there that are good you know, for sure. Even in our conference, our conference, the Big Sky Conference is much much improved over what it was what it was in the early 2000s, late 90s. It just is, you know. Yeah. There's teams every week that I think are, are good enough to win the conference, and certainly you know getting the playoffs where we had one or two, and now it's four or five, and you know those guys are you know we take Weber State, Montana State, Eastern Washington, NEU. I mean. Um, and Sac State the last Sac couple of years, Sac yeah. Sac State comes out of nowhere and they're playing great, you know. Yep. UC Davis comes along every now and again. Yep. So it's just there's um, there's just a lot of talent in the conference. It just makes it tougher to win, tougher to get out of the conference. And by the time you're out of it, you might be dinged up a little bit. What were the, the, the last two years of your career like, though, having already won a national championship and then chasing another one? Because you guys did have a lot of success, but it's probably interesting for you to know exactly what it takes and then, uh, you know, not quite get there. Yeah. No, it's definitely frustrating, you know, because, you know, um, you're not doing anything differently. I mean, you're doing all the right things. You're doing uh, doing all the things you had before. But it's just, like I said, you hit uh, our junior year. We had a bunch of guys hurt, which was tough. Um, and then just, you know, ran out of gas against a good McNeese team. And then um, senior year, we had quarterbacks that were hurt, you know. Um, Jeff Disney and Oaks were both out yep. playing with, you know, freshman quarterbacks and running the option. You know, Tyler, or, uh, Coach Sampson now is, a, you know, he's running right. the side of home. I mean, that's where we're at. We had great offensive line. We didn't have to sling the ball. And, you know, you can only fool people so long, and that's kind of where we got, got held up. But, um, you know, it was – there was times that were, you know, I'm obviously very proud of during those those two years, but it, 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 there was some frustration because, you know, again, we used to talk about luck and things lining up. We just didn't have it sometimes, you know. So, um, but yeah, all in all, like I said, a great experience coming from Florida High School, win a national championship and play for the Braves everything else. Well, we'll get you out of here on this then. I mean, what influence has it had on your life? Because I think that learning how to win and learning how to overcome adversity as a young man, it, it sets the stage for, for success. And I think that's why so many guys that have played college football, especially in the state of Montana, go on to have great success in their lives, no matter what they pursue. But for you, how did it influence your life? Yeah, I think, you know, the work ethic part of it is probably the biggest thing. Yeah. The, the working hard and having it pay off and see, seeing how it pays off, mm-hmm. um, seeing guys that maybe didn't work so hard that weren't able to play or, or couldn't continue playing. Um, you know, I mean, those are those are lessons you learn and, and they carry over um, dealing with adversity. Um, you know, there's um, adversity happens in everyone's life and, it, and you just got to figure out how to be mentally tough and get through it. And uh, so those are things I definitely took away. Love the competitiveness of it. And then obviously the, the relationships and the friendships. Um, it's good to have good friends, you know, and it's like family wise. My best friends are, are ex Grizzly players, you know, so that's or, or guys that went to school with me at that time or fans. You know, I mean, it's. 
um, a lot of connections, a lot of opportunities, and it's been a great experience for me. Well, Dylan, this is a distinct pleasure. Happy to have you in here, man. I love hearing all the stories. This was awesome. And uh, so thanks so much for being our debut episode. Grizz Grace, the 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Champions. 